Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this good morning. We love the sunshine. We thank you that you've gathered us here for this Palm Sunday. Father, we know that Easter's coming. We know that it's right down a few days away, seven days away, one week away. Father, we know that it's near. Father, we're also here to worship this morning that Jesus is alive. And we pray, Father, that today, according to your word, you would teach us. That we would be people truly built up on the truth. Father, I pray you'd remove all distractions and all worries. And allow us to hear the truth and believe it. God, do that great work that we know only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the pew Bible there. That's the black Bible in the pew in front of you. And it would be page 991. 991 in the black pew Bible. Also, John chapter 12. And as you heard me pray, you may know that today is Palm Sunday. You know, I was thinking about this. We have two big holidays, don't we? We have Christmas, we have Easter, and those are big holidays for for Christian people, those that believe Christmas is Emmanuel, Christ coming, God coming to us when he was born, born of a Virgin Mary. And and because of the way the the holiday season is set up, you know, we start celebrating that uh, just about as soon as we finish our Thanksgiving dinner, don't we? As soon as we finish eating Thanksgiving, Christmas is on our minds, we can't wait to go Black Friday shopping, and then December hits, and we are rolling, and we're thinking about Christmas all the time. Perhaps your Christmas tree goes up, and we think a whole lot about Christmas. And In all honesty, it's a good three to four weeks that Christmas is on our minds. And I like that, it's good. But Easter's not that way, is it? Some people aren't even aware that that, that today's Palm Sunday. And we're so busy in the springtime because we're so ready for winter to be over that we cannot wait for spring to get here fast enough. In so many ways, we're we're already looking to summer. I've heard people this week talk about the last day of school and these snow days keep pushing back the last day of school, right? We've already got spring break in mind. We've already got summer break in mind. We've already got vacations in mind. And we are ready to just blow through everything March, April, May. And what happens is Easter just doesn't get much attention. Or at at least not the attention that Christmas gets. I'm really hoping here today that by us looking at Palm Sunday, I know it's not going to be three or four weeks, but I'm hoping and I've been praying that Easter week, or, or also known as the Holy Week, would be big in your life. Now, it's a bummer this year that, that Easter falls on the same as spring break for JCPS. They have school this week, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday starts spring break, and I know many people have stuff going on, and, and, and Easter's not going to be able to be that big of a deal to them. But I'm hoping this week, starting Right now, with Palm Sunday, all the way through it, a good Friday service, a Saturday egg hunt, a Sunday morning sunrise service, that we would be taking in all that Easter is to us. That it would even be as big to us as Christmas is, and because of it being about the resurrection, that it would be even even bigger. 
Not, not, not bigger by how involved you are or how many services you go to, but by how meaningful it is in your life that Christ your Lord died on the cross for your sins and God raised him up. And, and just like the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that you could make the argument that everything we do as Christians hinges on whether that's real or not. Is the resurrection true? So today's Palm Sunday. Today is the week before, the Sunday before, if you will, before Easter, when Christ entered into Jerusalem. We, we have, we've just been singing many songs about that. Once again, Joe did a great job of singing Palm Sunday songs. Ho, Hosanna is a word from Palm Sunday, which you're going to see. We just read from that passage, as Josh Wamble just read, for us, read to us from, from Mark about the triumphal entry. What is the triumphal entry is when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, for he had come back, and as he knew, he was on his way to die on the cross for us. And I want today's sermon to be a little bit different. I want to show you this from all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first four books of the New Testament, the four Gospels, all tell us of the triumphal entry. I want to read them all. I want you to know what Palm Sunday is. I want you to know the key pieces. And then I want to apply some things here at the end. What's going to be a big point is this. That in life, we often get frustrated. Perhaps you're here today frustrated. I struggle a lot with frustration. I think I used this same illustration just a couple weeks ago, to be honest, but it happened to me again yesterday. It rained all day yesterday. We had a 500-meal egg hunt planned for yesterday. We have 6,000 stuffed Easter eggs ready for yesterday, and it rained so much, right? Baseball season is in gear. We need to be practicing, throwing, running, hitting, and all that, but you can't. And I stood outside at, in our house yesterday looking out the window, just complaining and growling and grumbling at how miserable this is. And Val says, why don't you just go outside and lift your eyes up to heaven and shake your fist at God, why don't you? She said, why are you going to complain about the weather? I was frustrated. And life is frustrating at times. I could go on and on with how frustrated it was. It's hard to watch March Madness when a little baby keeps interrupting you. And we could go on and on with our frustrations, and some of those are minor, right? But God would have us to learn that the reason why we're frustrated at times is because our, our expectation, our desire is not where it needs to be. We're wrong in what we're desiring. We're wrong in what we are expecting. And what God would have us to learn is that we need to trust that His ways are bigger than our ways. I wish it had not rained yesterday. I don't know why God made it rain so much. But God knows better than me. And I have to learn, if I'm going to believe Him, I have to learn to trust Him. Well, our lives are made up of a million different examples of that. Each of you, right? Each of you are here today with so many things that you wish were different, right? 
Why didn't I get that job? Why didn't I make that team? Why didn't I make a better grade? Why do they hurt my feelings? Why do they talk behind my back? Why is life so uncomfortable here? Why can't I catch this break? Why can't I catch that break? And we are frustrated in so many ways of life is not going the way we think would be ideal. And God would have us come to the place where we would say, Father in heaven, you know what's better for my life than I do. And I've seen that most accurately in you giving your son to die for me on the cross so that my sins, my flaws, not everybody else's, my flaws would be forgiven. And Lord, I trust you, and I'm going to trust you in everything. I'll trust you for the forgiveness of sins, but I'm going to trust you in everything. This fits with Palm Sunday because the world is frustrated. We know, listen to me, God tells us that the entire world is under a curse, the curse of sin. That's what God tells us. And all of us are frustrated. Everybody, you could say, is ultimately frustrated because the world is not the way it's supposed to be. And God tells us he's going to make it right one day, all things new, but it's not going to be that way until heaven. And so the only solution is for you to put your hope and your soul and your faith and your trust in the God of heaven so that one day you will experience the peace of heaven. For everybody that doesn't want to hope in God, they're hoping things will get better here. And it just doesn't happen. And so we're frustrated. And we may go in and out of seasons where we're trying to trust in God, but we're only wanting God to fix it here and now. And so we're frustrated. And when he doesn't, we lose our faith. And we start saying, well, I'm not so sure about this, and I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure about church. I'm not so sure about Bible. I'm not so sure about those friends and those relationships. And we start to doubt. And we'll go in and out of these things. God wants us to know that he's in charge. And there is the hope of heaven. Here's why this connects with Palm Sunday. The people of Israel, the Jews, were longing for that king to come. They knew that the Old Testament had been promising them and promising them for years a king that would make everything right. They knew that. They were wanting that. And because of Jesus and who he is, because of Jesus and his, and his claims to be one with the Father, because of Jesus and all the miracles that he did and his amazing teaching, when Jesus came back to Jerusalem, they thought, this is it. We're going to get the ultimate government. We're going to get the ultimate solutions. We're going to get everything is going to be better. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, they were crying out, Hosanna. You know what Hosanna means? It means God save us. God deliver us. God fix everything. God make it all right. When Jesus came back into Jerusalem, was he coming to deliver us, save us, make everything right? Yes. But how? By going to the cross to die for our sins that offers up forgiveness of sins so that you would then be in the kingdom of heaven which will one day reign forever once Jesus returns. See, they didn't understand that. They thought this king was coming back to set up the kingdom right there, to make everything perfect then, to make everything right then, and they misunderstood. 
And so on this Sunday, they've got the palm branches out. They are crying out, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. One passage, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Oh, make it all right. Make it all better, they thought. And when he didn't, they were frustrated. And so you know what they did? Five days later, Crucify him! Crucify him! He's not setting up a kingdom here. He's not who we thought he was. He's not helping us. Did he help people? Yes. Did he help them in the way they wanted him to help them? No. So they were frustrated. So they went from Hosanna to crucify him in just a five days period. How quickly who they were had changed. So Palm Sunday, in many ways, is about some people being frustrated. It's not going the way they wanted it to go. Jesus, listen to me, is not exactly who they wanted Jesus to be. I want to start here at John 12. I want to get to all four Gospels, read it, and then I want to teach from it. And I think you'll really gain a lot from today. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he, he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written from Zechariah 9.9, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples, look at this, verse 16, did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. That's John's account of the triumphal entry. So now I want you to turn back three books to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. So if you go back, you'll hit Luke. You go a little bit more. You hit Mark. You go a little bit more. Matthew 21. And you're going to notice that all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the same story, but they all tell it a little bit differently. Matthew 21, beginning in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. That's Matthew's account. Now turn to Mark 11, the next book. Mark chapter 11. We'll read Mark's account. This is the one that we've already read in the service this morning, but we want to read it again. One of the things that I love to point out is that so many Christian people are trying to be Christian without knowing God's book. And the reality is, is that it's, it's synonymous with being Christian to know God's book. Now, we may not know every bit of it, but we are to be growing in what it says. And it is very, very frustrating or challenging or discouraging or upsetting or embarrassing when you're trying to live for God without knowing what God has said. So it's important for us as a church to take times like this to make sure we understand what Palm Sunday is. We don't want to say Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter. We want to understand what Palm Sunday is, and that's why we're reading these. Mark 11, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. That's Mark's account. Now go to the next book, Luke 19. Luke 19, and it begins in verse 28. Luke 19, and it begins in verse 28. Luke 19, 28. I can tell when y'all are there when the Bible pages. Stop turning. That's really good. It's really good that y'all are turning. 1928. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks, their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, 
Blessed is he, is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. That's Luke's account. So now we've read John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all four accounts of the triumphal entry. All four guys' perspective. You can see they're all telling the same story. They're all very similar, right? They all mention the Hosea, they all, the Hosanna. They all mention the, the donkey. They all mention uh, the, the fascinating aspect of it in which... Uh, Jesus, which Jesus tells them to go ahead, and the donkey is actually going to be owned by somebody else. And so there's going to be this neat little exchange of, hey, what are y'all doing I'm trying to take my donkey? And they're to say, uh, the Lord needs it. Okay, well, you just take it then, right? And that's fascinating in of itself, right? There's a lot in that passage that we could really spend a lot of time on, and perhaps you can do that yourselves since there are four versions. I want to point out to you here, I'm sure you've heard this before. I think I've preached it in years past. That Jesus is coming in, and remember, there's this fascinating, peculiar, interesting dynamic with Jesus. He is God. He's God's son. He came trying to help people get to God. He came teaching about God. And so people were always kind of right, kind of wrong, kind of thrown off by, do you worship Jesus? And in this passage here in Luke's account, we have a very clear picture that yes, you worship Jesus. Jesus is riding in in Luke's account. Luke's the only one that tells us this. Matthew, Mark, and John don't. Jesus is riding in on the donkey into Jerusalem. Now, we know he's going to die, but they're worshiping him. Now, are they worshiping him because they fully understand everything? I don't know. Doesn't seem that way when you read the rest of the gospel, but they're crying out, Hosanna, the king is coming. Now, again, they're thinking earthly king. They're thinking earthly government. They're thinking earthly deliverance. Okay? And so they're crying out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And some of the people are like, this ain't right. You don't talk that way to a man. And it says here in verse 39, some of the Pharisees, those are the teachers and leaders of the Jewish people, in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke them. They're talking to you that way. They are offering praise to you, Jesus. Stop them from doing that. We know that God alone is who we worship. That's what they're saying. And Jesus answers back in a huge, huge verse for us. Luke 19.40, and Jesus said, I tell you, if these people were silent, the very stones would cry out and worship. God, Jesus, is so deserving of our worship, so deserving of our hearts crying out to Him, so deserving of our lives feeling that he is the most valuable, that he is our treasure, that he is worthy, that Jesus makes this statement that if people are not worshiping him, creation will do it. That's a big statement. That surely had to frustrate them even more. We'll turn back now to John 12, and this is where we're going to stay for the rest of the service in John's account. 
So we know the triumphal entry, right? I mean, the triumphal entry, we know Palm Sunday. It's the week before Easter Sunday. Next Sunday will be Easter Sunday. That's the resurrection. Two days before that, according to the Bible, three days before that, Friday is the day that Jesus was crucified. It's Good Friday. The Sunday before Good Friday is Palm Sunday. It's this. It's the triumphal entry. Nothing too complicated about it. The reason why we call it Palm Sunday is because of the palm branches that were cut down and laid before him as he entered Jerusalem, all right? You know the, you know the peace is right. He had been coming back to Jerusalem. He was entering into Jerusalem. The people gathered to worship him thinking he was the king. He rode in on a donkey. They were saying, Hosanna. This is what you know about Palm Sunday, and I know that you know it. We've just read it four times. I want to point out to you that here, and, and John's not the only one that did it, it mentions that there's a prophecy fulfilled from the book of Zechariah. Zechariah is one of the minor prophets towards the very, very end of the Old Testament. And it says there, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Jesus fulfilled that. That was spoken and predicted by God through the prophet years before it actually happened. And in a picture, as Josh Womble even prayed, you have the paradox of who Jesus was. They're wanting a king, an earthly king, to come and set up an, an earthly reign, and he was coming. But he didn't come on a chariot. He didn't have a big sword in his hand. He didn't come looking like the one that everybody would bow down to right there. For he didn't come right then to have everybody bow down to him then. He didn't come to be served. He was coming back into Jerusalem so that he could serve us. He came humbly. He came riding on a donkey. He came looking for the cross. He came with the cross in mind. As we have studied the Gospels, remember we spent a couple years in the Gospel of Mark just recently, we have learned that Jesus was, in so many ways, a heat-seeking missile, if you will, for the cross. We remember that Jesus was on his way to the cross. He had set his face toward the cross. Jesus came to die for us. This is what they missed. In Zechariah's prophecy, we have a, 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 a reminder of that and that it was a humble entry into Jerusalem. It was a humble coming in, riding on a donkey. But here today, in light of all that Palm Sunday is, I want to show you what happens next in John's Gospel. Look at John chapter 12, verse 16. Remember I mentioned the, the, the frustrations earlier? Look at John chapter 12, verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. They didn't understand this. His disciples didn't understand. This isn't saying that the people didn't understand. His very disciples, the 12 that had been with him for three straight years, everywhere they went, they were with him, and they didn't understand this. Picture the Palm Sunday scene again. He's been out preaching and teaching. He's been doing what he does. He's coming back. He's riding on a donkey. It's not some big, uh, royal, regal thing, as Josh Womble pointed out. It's, it's kind of a weird scene. And there's a lot of people there, and some are worshiping him. And the disciples are like, what? what is this? 
We're worshiping him like he's the king, but he's not looking like a king. Many people have been fascinated by him, but not many have been ready to worship him. There's a whole huge group of people that are opposed to him, that are trying to do away with him. What is this scene? And John tells us that they didn't understand it. Well, here's why they don't understand it. I want to jump up a little bit. Let's see who all's there. Skip verse 16. Look at verse 17. Who all is there? Verse 17. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So you remember that was just the chapter before, chapter 11, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. I know you've heard that story before, right? Jesus is very close to that family. He is is very dear to Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and this is their brother. He was a friend of Jesus, and Lazarus had died. But before Lazarus had died, he had gotten sick. And they called for Jesus. They said, Jesus, hurry up and get here. If you'll get here, you can heal our brother Lazarus. He won't die. We know that you can do it. You're the miracle maker. You're the great physician. You are God in the flesh. You can heal him. The Bible says that Jesus intentionally waited. He got there late on purpose. And when he got there, they're like, if you'd have gotten here earlier, Jesus, you would have saved him. But he's dead now. He's been dead four days. Jesus said, well, show me where he's at. I want to see him. And they said, no, he's been dead four days. There's probably an odor already. Jesus said, he's going to live again. He said, well, we know that somewhere, someplace, heaven, he'll, he'll live again, but we wanted him to live now. Jesus makes the great statement where he says, whoever believes in me, even though he dies, Meaning, Lazarus is not in anything like a bad position. Y'all, death, death isn't a bad thing for those who know the Lord. Jesus says, where's Lazarus? They show him the tomb. There's a big stone in front of the tomb. Jesus said, can y'all have somebody remove the tomb? They move the tomb. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And the Bible says that he was still wrapped up like they wrapped people up then, and he walked out. Lazarus was healed. He was alive. He was back to normal, if you will, and it was a miracle scene. And there were a lot of people there. And John is telling us here in the triumphal entry, as Jesus rides in on the donkey, that all, that were, all the people that were there, all the people that witnessed that, all the people that then that day saw and knew the power of God to raise the dead to life, John saying, the people that were there, they're here at the triumphal entry. They are watching Jesus come in, and they are bearing witness. That's the one. That's the one riding on the donkey. That's the man that can change lives. That's the man who can uh, bring life out of death. They're saying, that's them. That's him. They are saying, that's him. Verse 17 tells us that, but look at verse 18. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So there's a whole other group of people there that weren't there at the Lazarus miracle but they had heard about it, so they're thinking, oh, wow, this great God, this miracle worker, this life changer who fixes dead people is entering into Jerusalem. So they had gone to see. So they're just curious. And then there's another group, verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, 
the world has gone after him. So his opponents, the Pharisees are there going, we're not accomplishing anything. We're trying to get rid of this man. We're trying to go against him. We're trying to, to, get, to, to do away with him. We're trying to contradict his message. We're trying to grow our religion. He's trying to uh, do his own thing. It's not working. Everybody's here watching this triumphal entry, they said. Now, obviously, the whole world's not there. It's an exaggeration. But saying, everybody's here. So we've really got four groups of people looking at the triumphal entry thinking, what is this? And in so many ways, Palm Sunday is like that even still for Christians today. We're not exactly sure what to make of it. Except for it was the king coming to do what the king needed to do for the people of his kingdom. Let me say that again. Except for it was the king coming to do what the king needed to do for the people of his kingdom. And it wasn't at all, folks, to fix everything right now. It wasn't at all, folks, to set up the perfect government. It wasn't at all to set up the kingdom right here on earth. He was coming to deal with your sins. He was coming to die for our death. He was coming to be punished for our punishment. He was coming because of the great love of God that offered up his son in our place. Four groups there. The disciples, they didn't understand it. The people that were there when Lazarus was healed, they were witnessing to who he was. The people that had heard about that Lazarus thing, they were there to see it, see Jesus. And the Pharisees, who were still trying to go against him, and they were frustrated saying, we're not making any ground. Now, this is the triumphal entry. This is the Palm Sunday passage according to John. But I want you to see the key that makes all the difference. Look back to verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first, which means understanding came. What made the understanding come? I started off with all the frustration talk, remember? What gives you understanding in the frustration? When you don't understand, what brings understanding? When you don't have peace, what brings peace? When you don't have comfort, what brings comfort? And look what verse 16 tells us. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. When it says Jesus was glorified, it's meaning the gospel work of the death, burial, and resurrection. It's meaning that Jesus was nailed to the cross, lifted up on display for everybody to see and deal with that incredible, heavy, sad event. This guy they're killing with the criminals? And while you're in that heavy feeling, which we're going to deal with on Good Friday, while you're sitting there thinking, why is he dying? He doesn't deserve to die. And you sit there heavy-hearted trying to take all that in. Three days later on Easter morning, he's back, healed, saved, alive, victorious, 
strong, unstoppable. And when you bring all that in, that is Christ being glorified. And it says here that disciples struggled to understand this triumphal entry until Christ had been glorified. You see, it is the cross and it is the resurrection that puts in perspective the triumphal entry. If you're trying to understand life and the ups and downs and the heartaches and the hurts and even, listen to me, and even the sins in your life and even the doubt in your life and even the why do bad things happen to good people and why do good things happen to bad people and all of this wild stuff that circles through our hearts and minds, if you're trying to understand those things without the death, burial, and resurrection of God's great love for you, you will be left like them saying, I don't understand. I bet this week, watching the news or dealing with life or something's come up and you say, I just don't get it. I just don't understand why this is happening to me or to us. I don't understand. And the Bible is wanting us to see right here in John's gospel in the triumphal entry that the disciples didn't understand either. A scene where people are worshiping Jesus and he's riding on a donkey. They didn't understand. But once they remembered that, or once Jesus had been glorified, then, look what it says, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Listen, they remembered God's word. Y'all, this is a sermon that could be preached a thousand times. They remembered God's word. I want to ask you, the next time you're frustrated, the next time you don't understand, the next time that you are looking out the window ready to shake your fist at God, the next time that you're grumpy and complaining, the next time you're having a pity party, the next time that you are upset, will you remember God's word? Will you remember that Christ had suffered worse? Will you remember the cross? Will you remember the resurrection? Will you remember the gospel story? Will you remember the passage after passage after passage where the Bible tells us that God has favor upon you, that he's your father in heaven, that he's a better father to us than any father could ever be? Will you be built up in that? Because the disciples are there trying to do life, but it's not until they remember the glory of Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, according to the Word of God, the Holy Word of God, the accurate Word of God, it's not until that happens that it all makes sense. This is consistent with all of Scripture, too. Turn to John chapter 2, and we're just about done. Turn to John chapter 2. Watch this one. Totally different scene, but same response. Totally different scene, but the same response. This is after Jesus' first miracle. Many of y'all know that his first miracle is the wedding at Cana. He turned water into wine. You know that, I think. Right after that, just for a few days after that, verse 13 of John chapter 2. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple. He found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple. With the sheep and the oxen, he poured out the coins and the money changers and overturned their tables. Verse 16, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. A most unreal scene. We wish we could have been there, right? I wish we could have really had a better, grab, a better grasp on Jesus being angry and not sinning. 
That's the scene. They have turned the house into a house, the Father's house, the temple, into a house of trade, and Jesus was upset about it. He didn't sin, but he was upset about it. And he goes in and he does something about it. He said, get it out of here. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Turned over tables. All of that happens. And the disciples are like, wow. But look what they say at verse 17. Look what they say. His disciples remember. Same thing. His disciples remembered that it was written in the Word of God in the Old Testament, Psalm 69, zeal for your house will consume me. How many people have given their opinion on Jesus cleansing the temple and not remembered that Psalm 69 says, Jesus was consumed with a zeal and passion for his Father's Puts it into perspective, doesn't it? Jesus was consumed with a zeal and passion for his father's house. And so they're seeing this happening. They're seeing this happening. Jesus is angry and he's doing all of that. And they remembered Psalm 69, the word of God. Turn back in your Bible just one page to Luke 24. Luke 24, just turn back one page. Here is the resurrection, which we're going to look at next Sunday for Easter. Luke 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And now look at verse 8. Same thing. And they remembered his words. Folks, if you're trying to live life without the foundation of the work of Christ on the cross because of God's great love for you, without the truth of God's assuring, promising word, you will be frustrated. You will be confused. You'll say, I just don't get it. I got more questions than I've got answers. But if you will set your eyes on Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what did he say, why did he die, how could he have died, what does that mean that he died, and then three days later he's alive, what's it mean that he died and he came back to life, what's it mean that he's alive now, what's it mean that he's reigning now, that he's the king now, and you will understand that God wrote all of this for us because of his love, because God wants us to have peace, and you will understand that God's truth and promises satisfies the souls that trust in him. I've heard it many a times that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. You've heard that before, right? I sure hope so. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. I think you've lived long enough to know there's a lot of stuff that happens to you that you wish wouldn't. And you can't control what happens to you you can absolutely control how you respond to it. In John chapter 12 with the triumphal entry, 
the disciples are like, what is this? At John chapter 2, at the cleansing of the temple, the disciples are like, what is this? At Luke 24, at the empty tomb, they're like, where is he? It's not until they remember that the word of God tells them everything I need to know to give me the answers. May your anchor be the work of Christ. May your life be Jesus. May your full hope be in God, who he is, what he's done, and that he's told you that. The next time you're hurting or frustrated, or the next time you don't understand, remember his words. God loves us. He'll forgive every single sin. We can trust him. Palm Sunday, the king rode in. But it wasn't the type of kingdom they were looking for. May you know that when the king rode in on a donkey, he was going to the cross for you. And may you know that that king has a kingdom, and it's the kingdom of heaven. And may that king reign in your If you've never trusted in him, today's the day to do it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Palm Sunday. Thank you for the four gospels pointing us to this work. And thank you for the absolute clarity that it was when the disciples remembered that the word of God pointed us to the work of Christ. Father, help us to have understanding in our misunderstanding. God, help us to have comfort and peace in the midst of our frustrations. Oh, Father, set our thoughts on Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.